Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. Bible scholars have long agreed that Egypt, the land that held God's people, Israel, in slavery for more than 400 years, typifies the world. The system of commerce, culture, education, and even entertainment is today's Egypt, complete with its accompanying slavery and bondage. God's way with Israel was to change their view of the land they had grown to love. He wants to do the same with us today. When we see the world as God sees it, our heart, like Israel's heart, will be changed. And with us today for a program that I believe will touch many of God's seeking ones is Dick Taylor. Welcome back to the broadcast, Dick. Thank you, Brother Chris. It's really good to be here. And what a precious section we're on today. Well, I think the best way to start today is just to get in and read some of these verses from chapter 9 and 10 to get the picture of where we're going today. Chapter 9 of Exodus, we're going to start at verse 13, says, Then Jehovah said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I am going to send all my plagues against you, and on your servants, and on your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. And Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and Jehovah sent thunder and hail and fire came down on the earth, and Jehovah rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched forth his staff over the land of Egypt, and Jehovah drove an east wind upon the land all that day and all night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the swarming locusts. Then Jehovah said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness throughout all the land of Egypt for three days. Dick, you know, when people read this passage, I think the tendency is just to see that God was dealing with Pharaoh, uh, and he refused to soften his heart, so God had to keep bringing all these plagues to him. But was God just dealing with this difficult Pharaoh, or was he also trying to show his people Israel something? He was really trying to show his people Israel and we, his people today, something very significant. The main point I would say that is very precious here is that God himself has a purpose. His desire is a dwelling place, and he is holy for his people to remain in the world which is against his holiness, is not just something bad for his people, but something that prevents him from having his eternal purpose fulfilled. So God's desire is to educate us through this section in the Word. He was educating his people Israel. He's educating us so that we would be separated from the world unto God himself for his dwelling place. God's desire is that we would get out of the worldly living so that we could be 
separated unto him and enjoy him and be saturated with him so we could become his dwelling place for his expression. This broadcast will change your life as a Christian and change your view toward the world. The issue of this broadcast is you will spontaneously stop loving the world and pursue the Lord with your whole being. Well, Dick, we've touched in the past that the key to not loving the world is just to be able to see it as God sees it. That's our prayer, that he would open it in such a way today. Let's join Witness Lee. In this portion of the Word, we have come to the third group, composed with three plagues. In the first two groves, we have seen that God did use six plagues to destroy the water, the earth, and the air. All these resources of the livelihood all destroyed. But this is not all. This third group of three plagues to change the functions of the universe. In this third group, the first plague was to change the function of the rain. The rain no more rains water. The rain now rains what? Rains hail. Small bumps, billions, billions of frozen bumps. God freezed all the raindrops into small bumps, instead watering the earth. All these hills damaged the things that the earth grew. The function of the universe was changed. God changed the function. This means God changed the Natural principles. It says, well, it was raining hills. The hills were bumping. And the fire ran along above the ground. And eventually it says, well, the fire mingled with the hell. The fire is burning. The hill is freezing. My, these two extremes mingled together. This shows you... What a change of the functions in the universe by God. Just apply this a little bit. You know, in your spiritual experiences, if your relationship is right with God, the spiritual rain comes. The spiritual rain comes to water all your plant, your trees, your vegetables, herbs, grass, and so forth. And you do have a good farm or garden in your spirit. Also, the spiritual rain comes to water you, to quench you. But because of our stubbornness, our rebellion to our God, and that destroyed our proper relationship with God, then God changed the spiritual function. God changed the rain to hills. In your spirit, you have no more rain, but you got a lot hills. Now also at the same time, fire was running there. Hail was dropping, and fire was running in your spirit. Your spirit was no more for you to live there with the Lord. The whole situation was 
altogether damaged because the spiritual function was changed. When our relationship with God is kept right, then the reason functions properly. If not, the function may be changed from rain to hell, from watering to fire running. No more watering, but fire running. All these plagues just show us one thing, that God came in to destroy the living environment, the living circumstances for the human life. Dick, rain is a wonderful thing. It waters, cleanses, and refreshes. But hail is a destructive element, destroying all the tender living things in its path. At the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, God changes the rain into hail. What does this signify in our lives? This signifies that if our relationship with the Lord is proper, the Lord will send the rain, the spiritual rain. It would be good for the growth in life to water the garden that's in our spirit. In our spirit is just Christ himself. And what's needed is for the life that's within us to grow. So if our relationship with the Lord is proper, the Lord himself will water us. He will water our spirit. There will be the growth in the divine life and our thirst will be quenched. The rain is good not only for watering, the rain is also good for quenching our thirst. So there's a little... uh, song we sing, it says, I'm so happy in this lovely place, in the garden growing in his grace. There is no finer pleasure than to eat this living tree and to get this living water into me. So to answer your question, Chris, this is referring to having a proper relationship with the Lord. If we're stubborn and rebellious toward the Lord, our relationship with him gets somewhat destroyed and we come under not just rain, But in our spiritual experience, we come under hail, and even hail mingled with fire. And the result is there's a lot of destruction in our Christian life. So this is a serious warning to us to not live in the world, not to remain stubborn and rebellious toward the Lord. Otherwise, this proper function of rain in the universe for watering and quenching our thirst becomes something of hail and fire, and there's damage to our spiritual life. So we really learn from this particular plague to guard our heart, that we would not love the world, so that we would be enjoying God as the rain. There'd be growth in our life, and we'd be so happy in this lovely place. Dick, sometimes the difference between the rain and the hail is pretty subtle, but one, as you said, is something that's altogether to enhance and bring forth life. The other is a sign of God's judgment, and when we live in the place where God is exercising his judgment, even though we're Christians, even though we're saved eternally, we can experience a bit of that judgment, can't we? We sure can, and I like the word you said, Chris, life. Either our Christian life is one where we're enjoying life, that is the rain, or because we're not right with the Lord, or we are rebellious. The result is we experience God's judgment. But it's all because he loves us. He wants us to be separated unto him, to be saturated with him, so we could be his dwelling place, and we could be so happy in this lovely place. Dick, let's go back to Witness Lee. There was another change of the universal function. That did the change 
of the wind. God changed the wind in function. The wind sent no more breeze. But it brings in our locust not to uh, send us the air of life, but <laughs> to uh, send us eaters. They just eat up all the life supplies. The hail destroyed all the herbs and break all the trees. It damaged in a rough way. Then God sent the finer workers with their little teeth. They eat up every part, every bit of the life supply. They eat every bit of the leftover. The things still left there by the hill. The judgment thus far damaged the water, changed to blood, and the earth changed to lice, and from the water, not fish, but frogs came, and then the flies in there, and then the pestilence with all the germs upon the bodies of the cattle and the body of man. And then the boils with blisters. And then the rain changed into hell. And the wind said no more breeze and air. But locusts, God, good enough. You have done a good work. Everything was destroyed. What's left? One thing more. God changed the function of the sun. Then there was darkness. The darkness was so solid that people can feel it. Not only they could see it, but also they could feel it. This plague stopped everyone. Here it says, no one moved at all for three days. That terminated the whole situation, the whole environment, the whole circumstances for a kind of living. Who can do this? And who can have such a wisdom? God didn't use any rifles, machine guns, or nuclear bombs. Even God didn't use a knife, an axe. No. God used flies, lies, small things, frogs, locusts, and germs, God used all these small things. No proper water to drink, no proper air to breathe, and no light to move in. This one group of plagues took away water, and took away the air, and took away the sunshine. So no wonder the Egyptian magicians told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, why you are so stupid? Why you still keep this man? By the name Moses Ari, they are snared to us. Don't you know that the whole Egypt was destroyed? You are still starving. To be starving, that'd be okay. But don't be so stupid. These two men just are snared. Let them go. Let his people go. Get rid of the snare. In my whole life, I never met a person like Pharaoh. This man is more than enduring. He surely had the long-suffering ability. <laughs> he had such an ability that he could endure. 
and suffer all these things. This last group of three plagues. This man, Pharaoh, was most tempered. Dick, in bringing in these plagues to Pharaoh, God altered many of the natural principles governing the universe. The water was turned to blood, the earth, the air, even the rain and the sun were all changed by God in their function in the plagues. What is the significance of the alteration of these natural elements in how God dealt with Pharaoh? This indicates that the atmosphere over Egypt is not good for human life. It's only good for death. So rain, which should be for producing life and quenching thirst, it's a matter of life, turns into hail and fire. Wind, which should be good for breathing and helping our life. You know, if there's no wind at all, we suffocate. Air has to move so that we have fresh air. But the wind, again, is also for the refreshment and for life. And light is also for the growth in life. Rain, the wind, and the light are all good for life and the growth in life. So the significance of these plagues, where there's a changing of the function in the universe, indicates to us that if we do not respond to the Lord's call to come out of the world, rather than rain, rather than the gentle breeze of love, and rather than the sunshine, we experience the Lord's judgment, which is hail with fire, and you know, that's when hail comes down, it's a rough thing, and it beats down much of the vegetation. But then the second plague is wind, and the wind brought in the locusts, and the locusts just eat everything that's left. The hail knocks it down, but the locusts with their little teeth eat everything else, so it means there's nothing left to feed on. And then ultimately, you got darkness so thick that you even feel it. And it says those in Egypt could not move for three days. The darkness was that thick. This is what happens to our Christian life if we remain in a rebellious and stubborn state. Our relationship with the Lord is destroyed. So may we turn our heart to the Lord. There's a very good verse in 2 Corinthians 3.16. Whenever the heart turns to the Lord, what happens? The rain is the rain. The wind is the gentle breeze of love. And rather than darkness, there's Christ as our sunshine so that we could grow in life. Again, for what purpose? So that we could become the dwelling place of God on this earth. Mm. Wonderful description, Dick. That was very vivid. I think all of our listeners got that. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Amen. The uh, plagues which God exercised over Egypt actually were not judgment, but they were mainly for education. Not only for the education toward the Egyptians, toward the children of Israel, to all the generations. Without these 14 chapters of this book, I don't think we can know the world so thoroughly. And we can know God's attitude toward the world so thoroughly. In the whole humankind, there was such a person. I tell you, Pharaoh was very unique. He was a unique person standing there, and he could never be subdued. And actually, he was never subdued. 
Even he was not subdued, but having all the firstborn killed, he still pursued after the children of Israel. He was never subdued. The ten plagues are to educate the world people, to educate the children of Israel, to educate God's children people, the church people, to know what is the real significance of the world life. And what is God's attitude towards such a life? You and I, we all need such a thorough vision concerning the real nature, the real significance, the real result, the real consequence of the world life. Otherwise, you could never hate the world life to the uttermost. Don't just consider these ten plagues as a kind of punishment, as many of the Christians do. We must consider these plagues are educational. What is God's attitude toward the world? Today, many Christians may hate sin, but not so many really hate the world. And James tells us to be friendly with the world is to have enmity against God. But to our sensation, to our consciousness, we don't feel that much. To lose your temper is sinful, but to live a little part of the world is worldly. And worldliness is more hateful to God than sinfulness. Sinfulness is against God's righteousness. And worldliness damages God's holiness. God's righteousness is not so high as God's holiness. We only have the concept of being sinful. We don't have much realization of being worldly. We hate sinfulness, but we are rarely hate worldliness. It is by this book, the book of Exodus, that we can see how God hates worldliness. There is the need of such a unique person that is Pharaoh. God needed such a person. Why? Without such a person, God could not put out all these lessons. If you have really seen the blood, the flux, the lies, and you have really seen the flies, the germs of pestilence and for boil, and if you have really seen the hills, the locusts, and the darkness, you don't need a word to tell you, don't love the world. You surely would not love them. You would not love them. We need these lessons. We have to thank the Lord for Pharaoh. I say this based upon Romans 9. God's wisdom <laughs> did use Pharaoh as an instrument to give us all these educational lessons. Well, Dick, it seems that we have come to the real crux of this message in this last portion today. I was really impressed by this new view that the plagues were more for education than for judgment, even for our education. 
What was God teaching Israel then, Dick, and what is he teaching us now with these incredibly vivid pictures? Like you said, Chris, there's an education going on here. These first 14 chapters of Exodus, I don't believe before the life study of Exodus came out, anybody has seen that there's an education going on related to the world, related to God's view of the world, God's attitude toward the world, and how much the world damages our relationship with the Lord. So this is a tremendous section. The Lord uses this section to educate Egypt, to educate Israel, and to educate us today. As you were mentioning, how does this affect us? James 4.4 says, Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoever determines to be a friend of the world is constituted an enemy of God. And the Amplified Translation says, Whoever is a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. So it's not a small thing to be a friend of the world. And to see this vision of God's view of the world and his attitude toward the world through all of these plagues, showing that in the world you have nothing but death unto death, will help to motivate you to stop loving the world. May we pick up this vision and never be a friend of the world, but flee to our God, desire strongly to be separated unto him, to be saturated with him for the building up of his dwelling place on this earth. Lord, we love you and want to be separated to you for your dwelling place. Dick, we've seen our Passover, and now we've seen our Exodus. These are not just stories of God's Old Testament people. We need a Passover, and we need an exit out, don't we? We sure do. We need an exit out. This is Exodus, out of the world, unto God, for his dwelling place. And isn't it good? These are not just merely plagues or judgments. This is an education so that we would be 100% the Lord's for his heart's desire. Well, Dick, I'm going to recommend uh, for the education of all of our listeners that they get a hold of these life study messages in their printed form. Please don't take our word for it. Take these matters, open the Bible, touch God in his word, and let this light shine in your life. We'll be back with another message in our journey with the children of Israel out of Egypt. Thank you, Dick. You're welcome, Chris. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you'd like to read the works of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, just visit our website, ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll find over 600 complete titles available to read online free of charge. Witness Lee's ministry stood squarely on the shoulders of his mentor and co-worker, Watchman Nee as well as those of countless ministers of the New Testament throughout the ages. The riches contained in his life study of the Bible represent the top, the cream of his 70-plus years of ministry and range in topic from lessons for new believers to commentary and exposition on passages from every book of the Bible. But they all contain practical and deeper truths about the Christian life. Again, this wonderful online resource is available to you free of charge at ministrybooks.org. If you have questions or comments about this ministry or the program you heard today, email us, radio at lsm.org or call us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 
543-3788. Thanks for listening today.